Chapter 17, Part 2 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pontan. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that your love is never failing, that you are our strength and our hope. And God, we are grateful that we get to come together as one body in Christ to hear your word. And so now, God, we ask that you would come and do what only you can. Lord, I've prayed and prepared as best I know how, but you, Lord, must preach this word. God, I've studied your scriptures, but would you send your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of our hearts? And Lord God, I've written words on paper, but would you write them on our hearts that we might be one in Christ? And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said... Amen. Amen. So it is Sunday, February 11th, also known as Free Usher Concert Day. (laughs) I hear there's a Super Bowl going on. (laughs) Kansas City Chiefs fans, anyone? Taylor Swift fans, anyone? (laughs) 49ers fans? No. Okay, a few. Usher fans. Yes. (laughs) Uh, but yes, today is, is, is Super Bowl Sunday. And, um, you know, so I, I like football, but I'm not like really, really into it. And so I'm always shocked and amazed when you see the excitement and the passion that people have around football. You see, um, they'll sit in the cold and the rain and the sleet and the snow to cheer on their favorite team. You'll see big grown men bare chested with paint all over their faces and all over their chests. Even even Buffalo Bills fans will go out and shovel the stadium so that they can be at a game. Can you imagine that you go to a game, you pay for the ticket and you have to shovel your own snow? Um, it's crazy. <laughs> but when you, when you look at the stadium, right, when you go to a football game and you look at the stadium, you see that there are all kinds of people there. Black, white, Latino, Asian, young, old, people who can have box seats and then people who've saved up all their money just to get that one ticket. And you realize that these people are united under the banner of a team or, or a person or the sport itself. And it is exciting. But it's not just in football or in sports. You know, if I wear a T-shirt or a hat from a school that I've gone to, um, other people who've gone to that school will come up to me because they feel some sort of affinity towards me because we have a shared school experience. Um, in the black community, sororities and fraternities are a big deal. I'm not in one, but for those of you who are in one, if, if I'm ever with someone who's in a sorority or fraternity and they see someone wearing like their colors or, or a pin or something, they, they feel the need to go talk to them, right? They feel like they have, this, this, they have this shared common experience and so they want to come together and they want to say hi. Um, If you remember uh, our Vice President Kamala Harris, she is a part of one of these black sororities, Alpha Kappa Alpha. And if you remember back in 2020, the AKAs, as they're called, really banded together to help Biden and Harris win the ticket. Right. So the AKAs and other black sororities and fraternities, they had get out the vote campaigns and voter registration drives and they were driving people to the polls. And and while they're not the sole reason that Biden and Harris are in office, even President Biden had to admit the role that the African-American community played in his election. And so what we realize is that when people are united under one banner, 
under a common cause and a common mission, that there is power in that. And there are some things that can be done under that banner, right? When people have a common message, when they're united. And, and, and that power cannot be underestimated. And we see that Jesus knew that and he understood that 2,000 years ago. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. And it reads as follows. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for, this is Jesus speaking. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in them. I'm sorry. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, this is the, the last part of the high priestly prayer that we started talking about last week with Pastor Doug. And this is right before Jesus' betrayal, which we'll see next week. And Jesus knows that this betrayal will take place, so he offers this final prayer. But what's so beautiful about this prayer is that we get to, to listen in on it. As Pastor Doug talked about last week, we get to see the heart of Jesus. And, and what a privilege it is to, to sort of eavesdrop on a conversation between Jesus and the Father. We get to hear exactly the prayer that Jesus is having. Now, in the beginning of the chapter, in the beginning of the prayer, we see that Jesus is praying for the glorification of God. And then he prays for his immediate disciples. But here he makes a turn. He begins praying specifically for us. Jesus says in verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Take that in for a moment. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for us. Jesus was praying for you. You were on his mind and in his heart on the final day in those final hours of his earthly life. And if you knew that you only had one day to live, maybe a few hours to live, who would you be thinking about? Would it be your parents or your children or your spouse? Well, Jesus was thinking about us. He was thinking about you in, those final, in that final day, those final hours of his life, and he's praying for us. He's praying that for those who will come to believe in the gospel through the perpetuation of the gospel over time and across continents until it lands on us. And what's so interesting about this prayer is that Jesus is not praying that we'd be wealthy. He's not praying that we look good. He's not even praying that we would be wise. He's praying that we would be united as one. That all of them, meaning all of us, may be one. And isn't it that interesting that Jesus' final prayer is a prayer for unity? So today we're going to talk about three questions. We're just going to answer three questions about what Jesus has to say about unity. 
The first question is, why would Jesus pray about unity at all? And then the second question will be, what does complete unity look like? And finally, what is the result of complete unity? So the first question, why would Jesus even pray about unity? And I really had to think about this because as far as we know, we don't see the disciples arguing too much in the Gospels. But I believe that Jesus knew that as the gospel spread throughout time and location and culture and languages, that there would be this offensive attack um, from the enemy to keep people divided and to dilute the gospel message and its power. We see it as soon as the message moves beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. You remember in the book of Acts? Peter has a hard time getting past his own internal issues about sharing the gospel with Gentiles. He doesn't even want to eat with them. And then we see Paul. Paul will write whole books of the New Testament trying to help churches deal with Jews and Gentiles living as one Christian community. In the book of Galatians, Paul will write this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you will all baptize into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul says we are all one in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus knew what would happen as the gospel spread. And this is where I, I think about the sovereignty of God and how much we don't always realize how relevant the word of God is to our lives today because I believe Jesus could have prayed this prayer just today because Sunday morning is still the most segregated time of the week. And, and as Christians, we often argue about what's right and what's wrong and who's in and who's out. The presidential election is coming up this year, and the capital C church is completely divided. We pledge greater allegiance to a flag or a country or a political party than we do to Jesus. We can unite around the 49ers or the chiefs, but sadly, we can't unite around Jesus. And I think it's because we're prone to division that 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed this prayer for our unity. He calls for a, a perfect unity, a complete unity. So our second question is, what does complete unity look like? What does complete unity look like? Jesus says that our unity with one another should look like his unity with the Father. Listen to the words of verses 21 through 23 that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me that all of them may be one. That's what, what Jesus prays for, that we might be brought to complete unity. Jesus is calling us to a unity that's not based upon which football team we like or whether or not a player's girlfriend is going to be there or, or which political party we represent, which college we attended, or even where we're from, our country of origin. We're called to be united together in Christ and by Christ. 
Jesus is praying that his people would be completely unified, completely perfect in one. That word there for complete unity, it's, it's taken from a Greek word, um, telos. They have the same root word, and it means the intended end, God's expected end. So unity for God is where he intends for his people to end up. He wants us to move towards unity, and it's not just about us getting along, but it's about us accomplishing together what Jesus set out for us to do that we might be unified so that we can spread the gospel message. This means that unity is not an option for us. Jesus not only prays for us to be united, he shows us the model. Oneness in the community of believers is based upon the relationship of the Father with the Son. Jesus says in verse 21 that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is saying, look at the relationship between me and the father, and that will show you what unity looks like. The relationship between the father and the son is one of love and of shared mission. The father and the son, they speak with one voice. They work to accomplish one goal. Jesus says that he only says what the Father tells him to say. And he says that he only does the works that God tells him to do. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit as our advocate. And we know that the Holy Spirit confirms the word of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit speaks truth to us. It calls us to follow God. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have one mission— And they're bound together in that mission and in love. Look at verses 25 through 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The Father sent the Son on mission to tell the world who God is. And even after Jesus dies, resurrects, and ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit will work in us to continue that same mission. We are on mission to tell the world who God is and that God loves them. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united in love and mission, and we get to be a part of that unity. Now, if you want to sound smart— sound like you've been to seminary, learn this word, perichoresis. Perichoresis is going to come up on the screen. Perichoresis. I like that word because it makes me sound smart, right? Perichoresis is a word that describes the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that they are one with one another. They indwell. You can't have one without the other, even though they are all distinct, right? It's almost like a dance. They move together, but they don't lose their, their identity. There's no confusion between them. There's no merging. There's no blending, right? This is, this is what a marriage is supposed to be, right? That you guys move together as one, even though you remain distinct. And that's what the church is supposed to be, that we move together as one, even though we're all distinct individuals. 
That's the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that's what he's calling us into, that we would move together in love and in mission, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's complete unity. So then I had this question. I wondered to myself, if we call ourselves Christians, and we have a model for unity that we find in the Trinity, why are Christians so divided? Why is there so much hostility based on on race and gender and ethnicity and class and and political affiliation and doctrine? And not not just these big questions, but even at our local level with unforgiveness and resentment and jealousy and gossip and just even meanness. If I love Jesus and you love Jesus, why are we able to be united? That's my question. Well, Jesus tells us in verse 21 that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Could it be that we lack unity because although we claim to be in Christ, we are not fully in Christ? What do I mean? If we're honest, There are areas of our lives where we don't let Jesus in. And as a result, we're not fully united with him. There's an internal division. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are perfectly united, perfectly indwelled. But many of us, there isn't that same indwelling with Christ. We let Christ in, but we don't let him reign completely. You can be here, Jesus, but not over here. There are areas of our life where we let pride get in the way, our egos, our preferences, our biases, our self-righteousness. We don't let Jesus into those places to heal us so that we can be fully united with him and therefore fully united with one another. I'm unable to be fully united with you because I'm not fully united with Christ. And you're unable to be fully united with me because you're not fully united with Christ. A few weeks ago, um, pastors Peter, Ansi, Josue, and I, we went to our denomination's midwinter conference. And Pastor Ansi and I were in the Women in Leadership uh, conference and a, a session, and I, I was heartbroken by all the women, so many women there who said that they were at churches who did not believe in women in ministry. They were at churches that didn't recognize their gifts simply because they were a woman. Now, I have to tell you, I have no patience for that kind of theology. I have thrown out books by authors and pastors when I find out that they don't believe in women in leadership and women in ministry. This is a dividing issue in the Christian community. And if I'm honest, even talking about it right now makes me a little angry. But I realize that I need Christ to heal the hurt in my heart, to let go of that anger. Because the truth is, for some of them, for many of them, they are just trying to be faithful to how they read the Bible. But I also need them to understand, and I need help, I need God to help them understand that God pours out his spirit on men and women alike. 
And that the first evangelists were women who found the empty tomb and the angel sent them out to go tell the disciples that Jesus had arisen. Can we both be united in Christ? We have to allow Christ to heal us so that we can be fully united. It's those those internal divisions, those places where we don't let Christ in that creates division. Think about it. Think about it. We'll praise God on Sunday morning, and then if someone offends us, we can't forgive them. And if it's really bad, we want our friends to choose sides. Right? We're creating division. A pastor friend of mine, he was telling me that he went to visit a church, and I promise you it's not Metro, um, but he, he went to visit a church, and when he got there, there was a woman at the door who told him he couldn't park there. And he was like, why not? And the woman never gave an explanation. She just said that he couldn't park there. And when he refused, she got angry and was really nasty to him. Now, of course, she didn't know that he was a pastor, and it, it really shouldn't matter. But that same woman went in church, and she was praising God. And yet she could not muster compassion, right, to, to either tell this man, you can't park here for a particular reason. Let me help you find another spot. Right? There's internal division. She hasn't let Christ fully indwell in her hearts. And we see this in our, in our everyday lives, but it becomes normalized and then it becomes systematized. Did you know that many slaveholders in this country and around the world were Christian? And you wonder why. And they were so Christian that they wanted to evangelize to the men and women that they kept enslaved. So they, so they, they understood the necessity of saving people's souls, but not that they should let these men and women be free. And because they didn't want to run the risk that these enslaved people might pick up a Bible and read about God's redemption, and God's liberation, and God's freedom, that there was a missionary society that created something called the Slave Bible. And the Slave Bible kept out huge parts of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Can you imagine? Whole parts of Exodus just left out of the Bible. Why? Because they had not allowed Christ to dwell in their hearts completely. So they, they understood the mission of evangelism, but they would not let the gospel penetrate their hearts deep enough that it interrupted their bottom line, that they were willing to change societal norms, that they were willing to see these people as human beings, as made in the image of God. My brothers and my sisters, in what areas of our lives have we not allowed Jesus in? What areas are we not allowing Jesus to unite with us? Let me say it another way. How are you creating disunity in the body of Christ? Is it resentment? Is it pride? Last week, Pastor Doug talked about shame and fear and prejudice and, and heartache and a rebellious spirit is an unwillingness to be different from the world. That's where we need to let Christ in.
so that he can do the work. Because Jesus is calling us to oneness. He's calling us to unity with ourselves and with him and with others. And it's modeled off of the perfect unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we can't do it on our own. It is dependent upon our relationship with God. It's, it's, the, it's the byproduct of what Jesus in chapter 15 will call abiding in Christ. That when we let Christ abide in us, we change. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in us, and we get to be with them as one. That's where we see the fullness of God's glory. That's where we're united with them. So how does this happen? How, how, do, we, how do we get to this place? Jesus shows us it's through prayer. That's how we communicate with God. By allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and challenge us and force us away from the world's divisions. It's by, it's by following the example of Jesus Christ, of loving and caring and forgiving one another. It's through conversations with other people. Jesus listened to people and their stories. I think sometimes that we're afraid to talk to people because we're afraid that we're going to lose something in ourselves. And the truth is, you will. You will lose ignorance. You will lose pride. You will lose your ego because you'll begin to see how others see the world. But you will also gain compassion and love and you will move towards unity rather than away from it. Jesus wants us to be united with one another just as a father is united with the son and the son is united with him. And so our final question is, what is the result of complete unity? What is the result of complete unity? Look at verses 23 through 26. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that when the world sees our unity, they will come to believe in him. You know, we tell people all the time, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is saying that people will believe that when we are unified. God wants the whole world to believe in him. Jesus' mission is to make God known. We are called to that mission to show the world that God loves them through Jesus Christ. But the problem is, and we have to be honest about it, is that our infighting becomes detrimental to the mission of Jesus Christ. There's this research group called Pew, and in 2019, they did this study, and it found that 65% of Americans don't call themselves Christians anymore. 
Now, the problem with this is that it's been a decline. It was like a 12% decline since, the prior, since 10 years prior, and that is a steady decline ever since. So there's people who call themselves agnostics, atheists, nothing in particular, which the researchers call the nuns. And so you have to ask yourself, why is this? Why don't people want to be Christian anymore? And I think because the perception of Christianity is that we're hate-filled, that we bicker, that we're divisive, that we're unforgiving, that we're intolerant, that we're mean, that we participate in cancel culture just like everyone else. We behave a lot like society sometimes. And people don't want to be a part of that. And I have to tell you, this is my confession, there are times when even I cringe, when I hold my head in shame or I want to just cry it when I hear what people say and do in the name of Jesus Christ. Our church is a part of a denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And every so often people will ask me, you know, what denomination is Metro a part of? And when I tell them, I most often give the caveat, but we're not those kinds of evangelicals, right? Because the truth is, if I'm honest, that sometimes I struggle with being associated with people who show little compassion for people who flee their country to find refuge and asylum in this country that says that we take all immigrants, but in reality, we only like a few of them. I have a hard time being associated with, with people who say that racism never existed and that they, can, they, they don't see it now. I have a hard time sometimes when, when I can agree with you that abortion is sinful, but then you give no concern to the choices women have to make, the situations they find themselves in, and when those babies get here, we provide them with no resources. And on the other hand, I have a hard time associating myself with, with people who only talk about grace or only talk about justice but have nothing to say about sin and God's standard of holiness. And if I'm being honest, when I say that I don't want to be associated with those people, I'm contributing to the division. Because the truth is that they are my brothers and sisters too. And Jesus, remember, Jesus is not praying that we are united with the world. Jesus is praying that we're united with other people who say they believe in him. So does it mean that we, we sweep these very important issues to the side and act like they're not real for the sake of a false unity? No, that's not what Jesus is saying but he's saying that we remain in relationship. He says that we remain in community, that we remember our mission. It means that we can't demonize or caricature people who think differently than we do. It means that we get to know people and we hear their stories so that we love them out of the purity of our hearts. It's that we know that our brothers and sisters, even in this congregation, may disagree with us politically, but we genuinely love them and adore them because I know I do. 
It's that we won't let politics separate us. Because what binds us together is not who we vote for, but who died for us. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Our shared faith in Jesus is what binds us together as one. In John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Christian distinctive is love. The world can't see our hearts, but they can see how we love one another. That's what made people so attracted to Jesus. They were attracted to his love. They were attracted to his compassion. They were attracted to his heart for everyone. This is the love that, that drew people in. This was the love that drew us in. Our world is filled with hate and division and war and retaliation and greed and poverty. The world wants something different. The world needs something different, and that difference is Jesus Christ. And the demonstration of Jesus is us. Our love is made visible through our unity with one another. Our unity is a reflection of Jesus' unity with the Father and the Son, it's a visible sign of God's power. It testifies to our relationship with God and the power of love and forgiveness of grace. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying that we have to work towards it. The love of God is brought to realization in the world by how we love one another. Whether it's big political or social issues or more personal issues like gossip or unforgiveness, the world is, is looking at us. There's this saying that, that we might be the only Bible some people read. And if that's the case, what are they reading when they see us? What are they reading when they see Metro? What are they reading when they see the larger Christian community? Jesus prays for us to be completely united because he knows that this is how the gospel message will continue to be spread. The enemy is going to come against us. Jesus has already said, though, that a house divided against itself will not stand. Division is powerful, and it can topple kingdoms but when we are united, the enemy cannot stop us. When we get together under the banner of Christ and the Spirit of God, the enemy cannot stop us. Don't you see this, that Jesus prays for us? That means we have hope. 
That means we have power. If the Son of God is praying for our unity, that means that it is possible and that it will come to pass. Last September, five women from Metro participated in our denomination's Sankofa journey. It's an, it's an immersive discipleship experience. It takes you on a tour of the American South to learn about the history of African Americans in this country and to foster racial reconciliation. It's not an easy journey. We're on a bus, we're touring, we're going to these very difficult sites where we're learning about lynching and we're learning about segregation and we're learning about the, like, so much racism, so much pain against uh, black people in particular. It's mentally and emotionally taxing. And they pair you with someone from a different ethnicity, so you have to process this with someone who's different from you, someone who might have a different experience from you. And the hope is that as we learn one another's stories, we learn from one another, and we, we wrestle with hard issues like truth-telling and anger and pain and forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation and even joy, that we have different experiences and we may see the same things and experience it totally different and come to different conclusions. And that's okay because we're committed to being united as a Christian community. We're committed to looking differently than the world. We're committed to loving differently than the world. Because we want to show who Christ is. And I have like a little spoiler alert for you that you might be surprised at who ends up in heaven. That heaven's going to look a lot different than what we think it does. And so why don't we practice it now? God's call is for us to be united under him, under the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Before we pray, before I pray, I'm going to give you a moment to let God just speak to you. What might God be saying to you? Father, unity is not easy. Perhaps that's why you prayed for us 2,000 years ago, because you knew that we would struggle to be one. But God, because you prayed for us, we know that unity is important. And we also know that unity is possible. So God, we pray that you would move inside of our hearts in those places that we haven't quite let you in. That we might be honest with ourselves and with our brothers and sisters. That we might be people who move towards unity for the sake of the world. So that others would see the unity we have and come to believe in you. God, that's the mission that you've given us, to tell the world 
that you love them, that you died for them. And so God, may we always be a living witness and may our unity be an example to the world. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.